Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. California's mental health system is a mess. People wait years to get help, and sometimes they even get mistreated and traumatized in county jails or hospitals. But now, Governor Gavin Newsom is proposing a different pathway that he's calling Care Court, where he hopes people can get better treatment faster. He also hopes it can help mentally ill people who are struggling with homelessness. We're trying to fix a broken system where people just go in their camps immediately and no progress is actually produced. Today, Governor Gavin Newsom's plan to get mentally ill people off the streets and whether it can improve a broken system. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Care Court would establish a new civil process where a judge would oversee treatment for people with severe mental illness. Aaron Baldessari is a housing affordability reporter for KQED. Uh, we know the magnitude of this. And I Although know, anyone can be eligible for this process, you know, when Newsom unveiled the program, he really, you know, highlighted and mentioned stories of people who were experiencing homelessness as folks who often went years without treatment. We have the ability to now move people on the psychiatric, you know, or dealing with psychotic disorder or, or schizophrenia spectrum, uh, folks that just simply can't help themselves. 
Homelessness is an issue that has followed Governor Newsom since he was a supervisor in San Francisco. And homelessness has been growing. You know, we have been seeing more visible um, you know, street encampments growing in our communities, and it's really become a concern for voters. So he wants to help people, theoretically, like Karis Merrick, who I know is someone you spoke with. Can you tell me who she is and, and why you wanted to talk to her? Karis Merrick is in her early 60s. She lives in L.A. She's a podcast host and an advocate for folks with behavioral health issues. She's worked in the mental health care industry for over two decades, and she also has a diagnosis of schizophrenia. You know, I think I've had, I don't know, maybe about 10 to 12 involuntary hospitalizations um, over over a period of time. And, and her experience is really, um, I think, kind of common, not only for people with mental illness, but also for, particularly for, for Black people. You know, have this interesting um, history over time <laughs> with my mental health condition and kind of understanding what does it mean and um, how do I, uh, you know, work, work and move forward in my life in the way that um, would best work for me. She told me the story of her first involuntary hospitalization. It was prompted because she had been speaking with her psychiatrist who, who felt that she was going to harm herself. And so they, the psychiatrist called the police for a wellness check. I had a call to my psychiatrist and, um, you know, in, in uh, talking to him, I think I said something that might have been what I call sort of a black language, black lingo, black, ling- you know, black language, cultural, cultural language that we use. But I, I think it was interpreted as uh, I'm going to hurt myself. She was living at the time at an apartment and, you know, they showed up banging on the door. They were very loud. It was kind of embarrassing for her. I'm the only black person who lives in this apartment building, and there are the police knocking on the door saying they're the police, and uh, which really scared me because um, I didn't know what my neighbors would be thinking, you know? She was asking them to, you know, can you please quiet down? And they ended up taking her to first to the jail where they handcuffed her to a chair, and she wasn't really told what was happening. I had no weapons. I was, you know, more or less going along with them in the sense that I didn't push back. I didn't argue. You know, wherever they were taking me, I just let them take me. So why I was handcuffed to a chair, I don't know. Eventually, she was transferred to a a hospital for um, emergency psychiatric care. There, uh, it was very, very traumatizing because nobody was telling me what was going on. I think the assumption is, you know, you're so ill, we don't have to communicate with you because you're not going to be able to consent or understand. So there was no communication. One of the nurses asked her for a temperature check, and she refused. And her refusal ended up in guards being called and being pinned to the floor at the time, she was wearing these Doc Martin shoes, which she told me that, you know, she had loved those shoes. They're her favorite shoes. They're bright cherry red. And the uh, the people at the hospital thought that those were potentially a weapon. So they yanked those Doc Martens off. And that's the image that sticks with her. I was trying to understand how these beautiful red cherry red Doc Martens had turned into weapons. They were just shoes. Um, and uh, then I got a, a, a shot and um, was five point restraint to a bed. This is what she thinks really turned her off from seeking help. Um, and, and it really kind of 
made it so that it was years before she was actually ready to accept voluntary care and or even just to be willing to participate in her care. It was it was really harrowing, um, traumatizing. And I think why I continued to have involuntary hospitalizations, because that was my first hospitalization. And I thought, oh, this is what hospitalization is like for mental illness. So I think it's really just emblematic of the long journey that it takes to to get the kind of care that you need and sort of the the trauma and the fear um, that a lot of people are going to have going into this system, which is a court system. Right. I mean, it, it makes sense that 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 experience for her really turned her off to seeking treatment. I mean, that's traumatizing. It's scary. How does she talk to you about how her experience now informs the way that she thinks about this idea for a new system of care courts uh, that Governor Newsom is now proposing? Karis is is very clear in understanding that the current system that we have is not adequate. Her experience of having these involuntary hospitalizations, of having the system fail her in in different ways, has made her very you know distrustful of another sort of court system that another institution that is supposed to remedy the problem. You know, I think of I think of that night and it's like, you know, here's a time when you're at your most vulnerable, when you're supposed to be getting this help. But the help was actually, um, you know, just horrifying um, and very, very scary and really uh, was like, OK, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. If somebody says I'm sick. No, 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 I'm not sick. This is sick. Let's get into, Erin, sort of the basics of what Care Courts is and, and how it's supposed to work. What is the intended goal of Care Court? Care Court stands for Community Assistance, Recovery, and Empowerment. It's intended to coordinate care for people with severe mental illness and also, you know, coordinate other types of things that they would need, like housing, for example. The way it works is that someone, a first responder, a, a mental health care worker, a family member, could petition the courts to enroll a person in care court. That person would receive a public defender and also a supporter, it's kind of like an advocate. They can choose that advocate for themselves or they can have one kind of appointed to them. The judge would then determine whether that person is eligible for care court and then they would work with the county behavioral health department to determine a treatment plan. I mean, Erin, I've heard this program described as having a carrot and a stick. Can you tell me about that? For the person who's participating in care court, you know, the the carrot, if you will, is the ability to kind of receive a range of treatment services and housing as part of the, the plan. Uh, the stick is that if someone refuses to participate in the treatment program, that can be used against them at a later date as evidence for conservatorship. And conservatorship, what is that? What would that look like? Conservatorship is a process where a judge will appoint a person to oversee someone's financial and medical decisions. And 
it's a very um, scary thing for a lot of people because it can result in involuntary medication. Um, it can result in people being placed into locked facilities, which uh, although they are not jails, they are very much like jails where they are very restricted in their movements. And, um, you know, it's really just taking someone's rights away. You know, it's, it's removing their ability to make decisions, some of the most critical decisions about themselves. And so it's a tool that has been used in a very limited way in California. We're trying to fix a broken system where people just go in their camps immediately and no progress is actually produced. When the governor un unveiled Care Court, he, you know, he said that part of the reason that they were proposing this is because they felt perhaps there are other people who should be eligible for conservatorships that were not getting kind of the treatment that they needed because they weren't able to make decisions on their own behalf. That, this is a completely different approach, so please, I want to get out. This is not just cops going out there, arresting folks, and then throwing away the key and saying, you have no rights, and uh, we're substituting every damn decision-making. This approach with the courts allows in that process to immediately then engage with oversight and accountability that will allow that individual with the housing supports that are a component of this. If you speak to civil liberty advocates, you know, they um, will say that it's not so much that people are not getting the treatment because they don't want to be to, to be healthy. They don't want mental health care treatment or housing. It's just that the housing or care that they've been offered has not been suitable to them or it hasn't been available. Erin, at the start of this conversation, we talked about Karis Merrick's story. I want to go back to her. Is she worried that Care Court is going to be similar to her experience when she tried to get treatment, even though it's supposed to be different and, and a new thing that the state is doing? It absolutely does feel to her like a repetition of her existing experiences with mental health care in California. So I, th I think the first reaction was, oh, wow, the, the inside of this looks really good, but I'm not really quite sure why it has to go through a court system. Think about it from the perspective of someone who is going to be going through this process. You know, you kind of get called in and told you have to go in front of a judge. You know, maybe they're sitting on a dais, so they're elevated above you. Um, you're in a courtroom, you know, with those big overhead lights and... You know that if you don't participate, you could have your rights taken away. You know, people who um, are experiencing homelessness, who have mental health and substance use conditions, um, and, you know, we don't want anything further uh, to happen to them, you know, continued homelessness or criminalization or anything even worse than that. I think for Karis, you know, and a lot of the, the opponents of this proposal, they're very worried that this is going to worsen racial disparities. So it's like 40% of people who experience homelessness are, are black, uh, but black folks are only 6.5 or 7% of the overall population of California. So there is a, you know, just this huge disparity. And then when you overlay that with what we see um, amongst folks who are suffering from severe mental illness, Black people are diagnosed with schizophrenia on average three to four times more often than white people. Latinx folks at three times higher. 
And, you know, when you look at the people providing that care, black people are also underrepresented among psychiatrists and psychologists. So more than likely, we have a number of uh, black folks who have been or may be uh, experiencing psychosis and or have diagnoses of schizophrenia who are homeless, who then will be overrepresented in going through a court system rather than getting um, voluntary, uh, culturally relevant and um, uh, services that they need. I'm curious then, Erin, what people like Karis think should exist instead? Like, what what does she say helped her when she was struggling the most? Really, it's care without the courts. And it really took uh, a particular psychiatrist saying, you know, you don't really trust me, do you? And he was exactly right. Um, I wouldn't look him in the eye. I barely talked to him. It was more like, um, I have to be here. I'm counting down the 72 hours. Let's just get this over with kind of situation. It was during another involuntary hospitalization. And because of that interaction, she she did begin to trust him. And over some time, she was able to build a rapport with him. And that was the first time that I felt like I was connecting to someone who could understand the human experience of it all, not worrying about kind of what diagnosis do you have or are you taking your medication or, you know, all of those kind of regular things they check in on in, in hospital. It didn't happen immediately, but over, you know, a number of interactions with him, he was eventually able to find some common ground with her. And it really took him asking her, you know, what are your goals? What can I help you with and what you want to achieve? And for her, for Karis, it was finishing her master's degree. She really wanted, she loved going to school. Um, she was really passionate about her, about her studies. And that is, a you know, eventually what able, enabled her to end the, the cycle of involuntary hospitalizations. She hasn't had one since then. I, th- I think the secret sauce for me, and I, again, when I say f- for me, and I, I, I think it's a human thing, is we all want meaning and purpose in life. We all want connection in life. Um, we all struggle, and so we need support in life as well. And I think once we got to that point where it wasn't a tug of war about do I have schizophrenia, do I not have schizophrenia, do I take this medication, do I not take this medication, we were able to meet around the things that gave me joy, the things that gave me meaning and purpose in life, and move forward there. She absolutely agrees that we need more coordination amongst mental health care providers, amongst housing providers. We do need someone to kind of wrap services around an individual, help them navigate this very complex system. But she just doesn't think that that should happen in a court setting. I think You know, there are some fundamental issues um, that need to be addressed um, rather than kind of circumventing some really foundational, just foundational cracks, or I call them chasms. They're not even cracks anymore. So we're really not fixing the foundation. We're like building upon sort of a cracked foundation. Erin, I'm wondering if there's still room for any of these concerns to be addressed before this policy like actually moves forward and and comes to fruition in California. I do think that there are going to be changes before, you know, the governor signs any legislation that enacts care court. The legislation to approve care court was approved last month by the Senate 
it, it received overwhelming support in the Senate. But I do think it's going to receive a bit more pushback in the Assembly. If, for example, the Assembly voted to reject Care Court, you know, they could reallocate that money somewhere else. Um, it, it does seem likely that it will pass. I think there's broad recognition and consensus that the status quo is not adequate. It'll be interesting to see kind of what other changes are made as a response to these concerns and and whether whether the folks who are very afraid that this is, you know, implementing another institution that they take into account that black people, people of color have been harmed by these institutions in the past and knowing that how do we implement safeguards and and checks and balances to ensure that as this new program is being implemented, it's not repeating the mistakes of the past. Erin, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Erin Baldessari, housing affordability reporter for KQED. This 40-minute conversation with Aaron was cut and edited by Alan Montecilio. I produced this episode by scoring it and adding all the tape. Also, just a reminder that tomorrow is the last day to vote in the California primary election. There are all kinds of statewide and local elections on the ballot. You can check out some of our past episodes on a few of those races, including the mayor's race in San Jose and the recall election of San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin. Your ballot should have been mailed to you by now if you are a registered voter, but you can also go to the polls in person for more information, visit kqed.org slash voter guide. The Bay is a production of KQED in San Francisco. You can always get in touch with our team on Twitter at the Bay KQED or email us at thebay at kqed.org. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Peace. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.